Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop. Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and to learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Ladies and gentlemen, from the borough of Queens, in the city of New York, this is the Epic Piecast with your hosts, Nelson Lugo and Schaefer, the Dark Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, coming to you from the beautiful and spacious Studio 6C in Astoria, Queens, this is the Epic Podcast, episode 42. I am your host, Nelson Lugo. And I am your other host, Schaefer the Dark Lord. What the fuck was that? <laughs> it was a fanfare. Is that okay? Uh, well, no, I mean, I understand that it. Why did It's great to be back here at episode 42 of the Epic Podcast. Please stop yelling. <laughs> what what are you doing and why are you doing it? Look, I edit the episodes of yes, this podcast. Yes, yes you do. And I've noticed in the past few months yes. that there has been an increasing <laughs> lack of enthusiasm for what we do on my end. Yes. Yes, there I've is. I've noticed it every month. It's yeah. like my energy of my intro goes down a little bit. And then after that, it's like, hey, how you doing? What have you been up to? Uh, here's yeah. another here's another shitty episode of our <laughs> shitty podcast. Here's some shitty comic books I've been reading. Everything sucks. I'm just killing time. Why is life taking so long? Oh, my God. And I felt after I became aware of that, <laughs> what a miserable experience this must be. For both of our listeners. Right. And I feel like we're sh- in showbiz. Yeah. Our whole thing is that you fake it because you're never going to make it. That's how the expression goes. <laughs> is that, right? is that how it works? And okay. so I feel like I could do a little bit to sell some enthusiasm that might not actually be there. And I'm just trying. Uh, okay. Happy April, Nelson Lugo. Happy April, uh, Schaefer. Um, well, I mean, thank you. Thank you for putting in the effort. Uh, I mean, I think I ran out of it. I think that yes. was all I had. Yeah, you, you left it all on the field, uh, <laughs> as they say. Uh, I'm not really sure where to go from here. Great. Uh, you're driving the rest of this episode. I have done my work so far. Uh, all right. Well, I'm actually really excited about 
uh, this episode. We've got a, a fantastic guest coming up later in the program. Oh boy, do we! Uh, and I'm really, um, I'm really fucking thrilled. Uh, yeah. To be honest, um, it's a first for us. Uh, I don't want to spoil it too much, but we are actually going to be interviewing an author. This is the first time in the history of this program yeah. where we've had an author as our guest, yeah. which required us both to read a book. Yes. <laughs> I forced you to read a book. <laughs> we had a couple of weeks to read a book so that we could interview the author yes. about her book. Yes. I'm I'm shocked that you actually read the book, to be honest. Well, that's funny because I'm the only one who finished it. Not true. I guess we'll let the interview tell yeah. its own story. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit, but I, I guess uh, uh, it's been a while since you and I have been in the same room together. It's true. And uh, I know uh, our fans want to know what the hell's going on. Oh, my goodness. With bated <laughs> breath, they await another four-week update for the lives of two middle-aged, childless divorcees <laughs> with apartments full of toys. Yes. Who live in a giant toilet right. and spend their time Wait, scrambling is- around on crappy stages <laughs> for handfuls of dollars. Is the uh, toilet New York City? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. I just, I just wanted to make sure. Okay. Uh, well, yes, no, maybe. I've already gone against the thing that I tried to counter <laughs> at the beginning. My lack of enthusiasm for both my own existence yeah. and the content of this podcast. Well, I've already gone against it with that little. Yeah, but you're very enthusiastic about how uh, how much of uh, essentially a, a nihilist you are. So um, kudos. You're, Thank you. You're very excited about how much you don't care about things. I professionally use my voice to mask the pain inside. <laughs> and if I can do that for rap audiences, I can do that for the Epic Piecast. So, dear listener, um, if you would like to complain or, or congratulate us on how we've been faking it so far, please shoot us an email at epicpiecast at gmail.com. That's epicpiecast at gmail.com. Uh, I... <laughs> I've had a very, very busy couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, well, actually, some pretty exciting stuff. I think I have a director for my new show. Let me see if I remember. Yeah. From last month's episode. Yes. It is called Cheating Death. Yes. Yes. You have a director for that show. Well, I, I, I'm very close to having a director. I've, I've been speaking with a gentleman whom, whose work I've admired and whose um, particular sort of artistic vision I trust. And uh, he seems really excited about what I'm proposing. And and he just got it. Like, we had a conversation about what I think the show is. Mm-hmm. And then he brought more ideas to the table I hadn't even considered. And he just got it. He, oh. he gets what I'm trying to do. And he's... Um, and so, right now, we're still talking. We're still... It's very much the courtship period about, you mm-hmm. know, whether or not he wants to do it. Whether or not he has the time or schedule for it. Whether or not... You know, so... Um, I don't want to. I don't want to jinx it, but it's. It seems. It seems good. It seems like it's all kind of coming along, and I'll probably be able to announce something relatively soon. I hope it does work out with him. Yeah, and that we can make that announcement in a future episode. Yeah, because then if I say something cryptic now, right. it can be decoded later. I see. Like saying, I think that this guy is qualified to direct your your new show because uh-huh. he technically has directed you before. Yeah, as well as me. Yeah. So yeah. we'll find out. Um, yeah. But that's exciting that you're moving forward with that show because 
Well, I mean, I've I've been. <laughs> uh, I guess it's no secret if for people following me on social media, I've been um, pretty down lately. By which you mean the last seven years. <laughs> No, no. Well, yes and no. I mean, I've, I've, uh, legitimate. I've been legitimately happy for the past, say, two years. Uh, legitimately happy, and ha- I haven't really dealt with depression or major blues in any, in any significant way for the past like two years. And uh, uh, since the death of my father, it's been kind of like walking through molasses a little bit, right? And um, which makes any sort of hiccup that comes your way exactly. a, a little bit more effective. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, I've, I've had some relationship troubles and, and some job and financial troubles. And so all of that's just kind of compounding. But um, so I'm, I'm just really trying to sort of keep busy and keep moving forward in incremental ways. And, you know, it may not be giant leaps forward, but it's all sort of baby steps. And, and my show is the thing I'm kind of like latching my... Uh, mental health too, which is good because it needs to be, it needs to be written. It needs to be finished. It needs to be crafted. And, mm-hmm. you know, and if this is the impetus to get that done, then so be it. Uh, but I guess, I mean, I have some good news. Uh, I was accepted to the abs fest, abs fest, the ABS festival, Asheville burlesque festival. Uh, and so festival starts with an S in North Carolina. Uh, ABS. This, <laughs> we, we, someone, you know what? You have a computer. Why don't you look it up? Um, there's a there's a, a burlesque festival in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, it's called the ABS Festival. ABS stands for something that I can't quite think of right now. Um, and the unique thing about this festival is that it, uh, from everyone that I've spoken to, it doesn't feel like a festival. It feels like a gathering of like-minded artists who are there to have fun and it's very community-based and um and it, it, there's a strong sense of of network family building and the one thing that uh is unique about them is they don't just accept burlesque acts they accept any sort of variety art tangentially associated with burlesque so that means sideshow and magic and you know uh i don't know if they do drag stuff but it's a, it's basically it's a little bit of everything so they're celebrating a, uh the the umbrella of art of the art form rather than the specific art form of burlesque oh. so i got i got accepted Oh, and congratulations. I pre- i'm performing a magic act in one of the in one of them in one of the shows that's excellent yeah well, good for you. Yeah, thank you. Asheville, North Carolina is a lovely city. Is it? You've been there? Yeah. I've, I've never been. This will be it's my great. first time in I, my first time in North Carolina ever. I like most of the cities in North Carolina. There's a collection of a lot of great cities there. Yeah? Yeah. Raleigh. I've uh, never been. Greenboro. I, I have no idea. Uh, I've had a great time in a number of cities there, and Asheville is no exception. Oh, okay. So. Um, I, I'm looking forward to the show. I just have to figure out how to get there. That's my only, uh, that's, that's, that's the only sort of, uh, hiccup. Well, to... you start with the booking and you work backwards. Right. Exactly. You, you <laughs> showbiz. Figure it out. Hashtag showbiz. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, another bit of good news. Uh, I've been cast in a, uh, reoccurring role in, well, not, not, not a reoccurring role, but I've been cast in a show. Okay. Um, there's a woman here named Cynthia Von Bueller mm-hmm. who does, uh, who writes and directs and creates these, um, interactive theater pieces. Right. She did the Ziegfeld Follies. She did the Ziegfeld Follies. Before that, she did, uh, the Brothers Booth, which was a story about 
John, uh, John and Edwin Booth. For those who don't know, uh, uh, immersive theater is when the the audience is goes to a venue right. and the venue is dressed in a way to transport you to the setting of the, the story. story. Yeah, the narrative, sure. And th- as opposed to just being an audience member, the performers actually kind of interact with the audience and yeah. move through the crowd and you're allowed to kind of explore the space and yeah. pick up on bits of the story that is happening around you. It's, it's like yeah. as though you're, you're in it the is, show. It is, is not a, a passive experience. It is a, a theater experience that was very popularized by Sleep No More in New York City. and Sure. Uh, in a big way. I mean, I'm not it, saying they invented it, but right, right, they right. made it, they turned it into like a, a thing. Like, yes, it became, it, became a, it became a genre yes. when they did it. Yes. yes. And Ziegfeld Follies was one where you go and it's, I don't remember when it's set. <laughs> it, it's, it's Josephine set. Baker's a character in it. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's set during the, the heyday of vaudeville and uh, the Ziegfeld Folly girls were in their prime. and So uh, like the 20s? Uh, 20s, early 30s, somewhere in there. And it's it's a like a kind of speakeasy... Uh... No, it's not a speakeasy. It's a, it's a huge... Well, Ziegfeld Follies, I was not part of the Ziegfeld Follies, but it was a uh, essentially a recreation of what that show might have looked like if you were an audience member at the Ziegfeld Follies. Mm-hmm. But it was more than that. It was kind of wrapped up in this murder mystery whodunit. Right. Um, and that was the Ziegfeld Follies. Before that was a show called the brothers booth, which was the story of, uh, John Wilkes booth who assassinated Abraham Lincoln and his brother. And, you know, and the sort of trials and tribulations between those two. And, um, then the show, I think the first show, which was a show that I was a part of, is called uh, speakeasy dollhouse. Okay. Which, uh, essentially was the story of, um, nine uh, during prohibition, New York city, in an actual speakeasy where you're interacting with mobsters and there's a a uh, a murder that turns into a revenge killing, which then turns into all kinds of stuff. Um, and all of these are very sort of interactive. So then you are now working on this new show. Well, y- y- yes, but not directly. Okay. Um, basically, this new show is called The Illuminati Ball. And the premise is you um there's a a a secret location located somewhere uh north of New York an hour north of New York City mm-hmm. where you get on a bus and you drive an hour and then you go to uh, basically this mansion and you are the the premise is that you are coming to this secret location for a secret ceremony for the possibility of being inducted into the Illuminati okay and uh, it's a very exclusive show. There are only 30 tickets sold per mm-hmm. show. And there's meal and there's booze and there are rooms and there's a story. Uh, there, there are several subplots surrounding this major story arc. And everyone is wearing masks. You, you are given a mask when you show up. That's very much like uh, Sleep No More. Yeah, and also um, very much like uh, what was it eyes wide shut, with except without any actual sex acts, basically. Right. And so, so like eyes wide shut. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And uh, so Cynthia von Bueller um, realized that the hour bus ride up uh, can be uh, boring, 
um, mm-hmm. because they don't know what to expect. There, no show has happened yet, so they're basically just. So she wants a way to set the stage exactly as soon as these thirty audience members get yes. on the bus exactly. So um, they get on the bus. They're served champagne and some snacks, and then right after the champagne and snacks, I do a thirty-minute magic set. On Nelson a- Lugo of the Epic Pie Cast. Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, and I've never actually performed magic on a moving party bus <laughs> before. Uh, and it's a party bus. It's it's um, all of the seats are along the sides, mm-hmm. and everybody's facing each other. There's stripper poles uh, in the middle, and it's all like purple leather and neon lighting. And I basically stand up and I do a 30 minute magic act on a moving venue. Uh, and that was a unique challenge. Well, and you're doing it again. Yeah. I've, I've just been hired. I've been hired. Um, I did the first one last a uh, couple weeks ago and it was a trial run to see if it would work mm-hmm. and it did work. And so now I am, uh, I'm now a contract player for, this experience great yeah i am never gonna see that show i don't yeah it's well i'm not listen i'm never going to a show that requires an hour-long bus ride at the beginning (laughs) and end of it ever well that and also like i don't think i would see the show because the ticket cost 450 dollars. jesus christ yeah 450 dollar look a 450 dollar ticket yeah and an hour-long bus ride to and from the show yeah where i have to wear a mask yeah. That show had better be just an hour of live sex between Ad Rock and Sherilyn Fenn. That's like, that's when I'll, then I'll be like, you know what? I can take all of this inconvenience and cost and it would be totally worth it. But otherwise, no, thank you. Um, It's, it's actually a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, obviously it's catered. It's, it's the target market is for people who can actually afford a $450 ticket. And the the unique thing about this experience is that the show is sold out until September. Wow. Do you know how long your run of being the, the bus pre-show is? My run is as long as the show is running. Damn. So. And. Uh, One yeah. show a week? No, it's uh, two shows a month. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Does the rest of the cast take an earlier bus? I don't know actually how okay i don't know how they get up there on art i i would i would imagine that there's like a carpool of some kind to be honest i don't know i'm not i don't really care (laughs) i'm only asking all of these questions because i'm nervous and i'm trying to get like warmed up to interview an author later (laughs) so i feel like if i ask a bunch of questions eventually Uh, i'll ask a good one (laughs) you know a broken clock is right Twice a day. I'll take it. <laughs> I will take it. Well, that's exciting. I hope you're uh, having a good time, and I hope it uh, works out for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a, I'm having a good time so far. Um, but before before we move on to the interview, we should probably talk about the giant uh, elephant in the room. Oh, the giant elephant in the room, right. Uh, uh, I haven't really done much in the past month. I'm recording a bunch of stuff. Who gives a shit? I'm not going to talk about that. Right, 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 right. Read some crappy comic books that sure, I've talked about sure, for sure, three sure. years. Read some, watch some crappy TV. I don't, I don't care about any of that. <laughs> There's really only one thing that we've consumed this month that we, I feel, are obligated to discuss. Yeah? You think obligated? Yeah, oh, I absolutely do. Mm. I would bet a large amount of money that if I went through the archives, that in every 42 episodes of this podcast that we've released so far, 
that every one of them has at least one mention of Batman. <laughs> I, you know what? I would say that out of 42, uh, I would say at least 40. At least. At least. I think we're, I think we're. You think, you think we're, we're, we're 40 out of 42 out of 42? I think, yeah, I think we're 42 for 42. Damn, son. I'm not going to find out because I'm not listening to all these again. <laughs> right. But the point is. Right. That if, if there is a motion picture event. Right. That involves Batman. Sure. We are not only uh, required to see it, but we should probably discuss it on our pop culture themed podcast. Yes. Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. This is the ninth feature length live action movie starring Batman that has been released. Of in 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 all of history? Yes. Okay. Batman v Superman, Donald Justice. Yes, we saw it. We saw it. Because we had to. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes, that. And also, um, I, I want to throw a shout out to Stephen Patillo for uh, hooking us up with uh, free tickets. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I, just, I, I guess before we begin, I just want to say that I went into this movie knowing nothing. Right. I, the only trailer I saw was that very first teaser trailer that they put out. Mm-hmm. And then be, aside from that, I saw nothing. I didn't consume a single drop of footage. I didn't look at any pictures. I didn't read any articles. I went in blind. Okay. So I had zero expectations going in. You always say that. Yeah. I went in with zero expectations. You went into a movie called Batman versus Superman, <laughs> the first movie ever made with those characters on the big screen, with zero expectations. I, you have invested into the identity, <laughs> to the property of Batman, and to a lesser degree, but still and to a relevant degree, Superman. Sure. Yeah. Your entire life, since you have been self-aware... You have been giving money and attention and hope yeah. to the characters of Batman and Superman. You cannot say you walked into this movie with zero expectations. I Well, I expected to see Batman. I expected to see Superman. That's two expectations. I expected to see Wonder Woman. Three expectations is more than zero expectations. Uh, I expected uh, at some point uh, Batman and Superman are going to fight. And then that's right, basically right. it. You, you, you can. All right. All right, sir. You went in there with hopes and dreams. I went in there. Well, I hate to say this because I'm going to sound like one of those fucking Internet trolls. But I went into this really not expecting much. Mm -hmm. Um, Only because the track record coming out of Warner Brothers Studios on their superhero properties hasn't really been... Good. You liked the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, did you not? I did. That's from Warner Brothers. You I know. liked the original Batman movies and Superman well, movies. Those yeah, are all but, Warner Brothers yeah, properties. But but also they they also made Green Lantern, which okay. was abysmal. So you pick the they worst also, thing they put out. They the, put, the worst thing they put out recently. You know, um Man of Steel, not great. Not great, but you still liked it. Uh, I mean, it fulfilled my criteria of entertainment, but that's a pretty low bar. I mean they tend to Warner Warner Brothers can okay, and I guess I guess we're gonna go right into it. Batman, I, I want to say this right off the top. I don't think it's very good, but I also don't think it's bad either. Okay, I think it's okay. Okay, 
I think it's an okay film. Um, it has a lot of problems with it, but I think what works are the very deep cut fan stuff that people like me will fucking enjoy. You say this with the same tone that an unhappy partner in a relationship says. Yeah. How are you doing? Did everything get settled after that fight? <laughs> it's it's okay. Everything's okay. It's fine. It, That's the same way that you just said. Zack Snyder is a fantastic filmmaker. He really Unpopular is. opinion, but you I said think, it. No, I think I think I think as a as a as a technical director, mm-hmm. um, he's really fucking good. He's I, really good at his job. I greatly enjoyed yeah. Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead, fantastic. I I, I happen to love Watchmen. I did too. You know, um, I uh, come at me, internet. Yeah, exactly. Um, Three hundred. I did not like Three Hundred. I liked Three Hundred. Cool. Uh so as a film, and also Sucker Punch. I fucking Sucker Punch. I never saw because right. likes it so much, and that was enough to make me avoid it. <laughs> uh, despite that, I think I think you should give it a watch. I, right. I happen to, I happen to like. I think it's a, I think it's a deeply flawed film, but I think what he does right is done really well. There's definitely been a very loud chorus on the internet uh, since BVS came out right. of people just saying scathing things about Zack Snyder and how right. they've never liked him and never liked his career. And that's fine if you didn't, but yeah. I don't, I agree with you. I don't think yeah. he's a terrible film. No, I think, I think technically speaking as a technical film director, I think there are very few people who can touch what he does. Technically speaking, he is a fantastic technical film. You're doing it again. You're like, you're repeating these words I'm in a way that it. you sound, I'm, I'm qualifying it within an inch of its life. You sound like an angry partner. Well, I mean, because only because, there are so many stupid choices that if I wasn't such a deep cut fan of this property, mm-hmm. I would, I would, I would dismiss it as being a horrible film. I feel like I give big tentpole popcorn movies yeah. a huge pass whenever they make missteps. You do. I you do. do. I, yeah. Traditionally speaking, you I, do. I hate this expression that people use when sometimes they'll get asked about something that they, they feel guilty for enjoying, especially with like summer blockbuster movies. Right. Hey, what did you think of movie X? Well, it wasn't a great movie, but I was entertained. Yeah. And then I always think to myself, fuck you. Because that movie did its only job. All no, it had to do was no, entertain you. No, fuck you. Because th- there's far more nuance into things that I like or don't like rather than the black and white, yes, it's amazing, or no, I hated it. There's a lot more in between there, sir. You know, there are things about it that I like. We are getting sidetracked. I haven't even finished the <laughs> statement that I was making initially. <laughs> All right, go ahead. All right, thank you. Go ahead, please. I give movies that uh, I, I give movies a, a, a like wide a berth. huge yeah absolutely. a wide berth. Yeah. I you know I enjoyed the prequels for every moment of shitty filmmaking. <laughs> if there was like at least a half a second of a lightsaber, I was like, you know what? I was entertained. That was pretty good. And I will watch. I still like when I see on cable yeah. elements of Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin. <sighs> that should speak volumes to how much yeah. I will give a movie a pass. I that liked Michael Bay's Transformers movies. Not all of them. Like the first one a lot. Like the third one a little. Like the second okay. one zero. First one's okay. So I, I can I can give movies passes. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. So when you go into a movie that's like 
Superman, who I'm not hugely invested in, but he's a superhero who's been around in my life. And sure. I had I had little baby sized underwear with Superman logos on it. Like <laughs> right. I, he's been a part of my yeah pop culture experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you pair him with like somebody like Batman, who is somebody that not only do I enjoy, sure. but is as ranks up there with my right. entertainment superstars, which yes. are Star Wars, the Beastie Boys, Batman. Right. Those are my three constants, like my whole life. Right. So, so that going into it, the movie, you know. It's going to be shielded from a lot of really deep criticism for me because it's already a little protected. And that said, that said, yeah. I hated this movie. Damn. I just hated it. It was nothing about it that you liked? That's not true. There were moments. Okay. Not elements. Moments. I I think I think I think we're both saying the same thing. I just we're I, both saying that that scene where Batman goes in and beats up all the guys <gasps> in the warehouse, like does Batman shit, which happens in the third act for a few yes. minutes. That's I they saw that oh and was like God. that was excellent. Yeah, but I don't know if isolated by itself it's that good because it comes after watching two hours of garbage. <laughs> no, I think I think I think for the most part, a lot of the solo Batman stuff. Other other than maybe the the Batmobile scene mm-hmm. holds up. All all the stuff where where Batman is beating up people, I think holds up by itself. I think I think they're wonderful standalone little stories. Um, I'm a little, which is why I which is why going back, I don't think this is a Batman film. I think this is a sequel to Man of Steel. Oh, you're full of shit. No, I think I think this no. is I, I think it's a because. It's really about Superman's story here. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Everything, everything in this in this movie is sparked or is a catalyst of Superman. Great. That's just a MacGuffin so that we can wedge Batman into this universe. Yeah, exactly. Which is why it's a sequel no, to Man of Steel. No, the movie is a prequel to a standalone Batman movie. Well, I don't know about that. This movie is called Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. It should be called Batman vs. Superman. Everybody wants to be Batman. Because every character in the movie does. I know that there are fans. There are fans of the comic book properties that take umbrage with so many elements of this movie. Because Superman is responsible for the death of so many people in Man of Steel and also in this one. And that's not how Superman's supposed to be. That's fine. They kind of address that moving into this movie. Yeah, it's a little ham-fisted, but yes. A lot of people like want to take issue with the fact that Batman kills people in this movie. And Batman doesn't kill people. That is like, that that is unholy. You don't do that. I don't even care about that. Right. The part that I care about is how every single other person who was in this movie was like uh, a brooding. No, I, I want to be Batman angry. too. How much of the movie is is Superman standing on the edge of a building, looking sad in the rain, <laughs> brooding like the Dark Knight? Or how about when they go to the like fundraiser at Lex Luthor's place, and all of a sudden Wonder Woman shows up? Disguised right. as a wealthy socialite who's going to do a little computer hacking while she's there. <laughs> or how about when Batman has <laughs> conversations with Alfred, yes. who is played by an actor who is delivering every line of dialogue as though he's auditioning for the fucking part of Batman. First of all, Jeremy Irons, I think, is fucking fantastic as Alfred. He's, I mean, they didn't. He is so good as Alfred. Uh, Everybody wants to be dark and brooding <laughs> and tortured. Well, that's the, in this that's, universe. That's the role that that's that's the, that's the world Zack Snyder has built. Like that's they, that's that's a cop out, man. You can do you can create emotional dynamics among those characters in a in a dark, serious, grounded sure, reality. Sure, but you can still give them enough elements 
to separate them from one another. That and is also I feel true. That is it's true. just that Batman came in and everybody was they were throwing money and expectations <laughs> at Batman as well as the entire cast. I feel like they were told like they were told all school year that your brother's coming home from college this summer <laughs> and he's been doing really big things. He is on the Dean's list. He's got a very promising future. So get it together. And then your brother shows up and sees you standing there wearing a costume of your brother. <laughs> I don't so even... there was this, this tonal homogeny throughout the whole thing. Well, I don't it's... think, I don't think Zack Snyder actually directed any of the actors because it just seems like they're all doing what they want to do, which I don't know, and I guess this is this is this is where I think Zack Snyder's talent as a filmmaker falls apart. Because I don't think he's an actor's director. You know what I mean? He is so consumed about how it looks and the visuals and the angles and the and the the visual narrative that I don't think he actually gives a fuck what the actors are doing. I disagree. I feel that Dawn of the Dead is an ensemble cast piece. And okay, I'll give there you that are, one. I'll give you that one. There are pretty rich uh, relationships you know and distinct characters created in that. And I'll, I'll, also, I'll also give him credit for, for um, Sucker Punch as well. Okay. For that. But I think for the most part, I think a lot of, a lot of the criticism that gets aimed at Zack Snyder is that... <sighs> Lex Luthor. What's that guy? What's that kid's name? Jeremy something, right? Forget his Jesse name. Jesse Eisenberg. Thank you. Jesse Eisenberg. He is doing the best Joker impersonation I've seen on film. No, he's not. He's doing He's like the <laughs> He reminds me of the kid that I hated who play who was on Gotham who played Jerome. Oh yeah. Because to me, he sounds he's like He's doing an imitation of what all your friends think the Joker should be. He's doing an impression of Heath Ledger, <laughs> but he's a cosplayer at a con and he's right. doing it all day long. Right. He tr- probably tried a few things and somebody told him to stick with it, so I'm not going to condemn him too much, but I just hate how also every line of his dialogue had to be a villain's monologue. I don't mind he that. He might so as much. well have tied Lois Lane to train tracks for how much they were really trying to <laughs> underscore everything. Everybody to ask him something like, hey, Lex, w- w- are you going to eat that sandwich? Yeah. Let me ask you something about eating a sandwich. Yeah. I don't mind that so much because a DC, for the most part, has always been a black and white world. Like the villains are villains. The heroes are heroes. And they're they're Bible stories. They're, they're, yeah, they're, the characters very little, in the DC universe are gods. Yeah, very little, there's very little nuance in the characters of the DCU. Um, the good guys are always fucking uh, paladins and the, 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 the bad guys are always like, you know, kitten raping baby eaters. Uh, so I don't mind the fact that he goes on these villain monologues all the time. Like I actually enjoyed it. What I didn't enjoy was that it's supposed to be Lex Luthor saying those things. And it's like the disconnect between that and Lex Luthor that I know just seemed, I don't know. It was a very unsuccessful villain. Yeah. I don't even give a shit about the property because I'm not a huge Superman fan. I haven't read a lot of comics. I don't, I mean, to me, Lex Luthor is... Gene Hackman? Yes. (laughs) Or even Kevin Spacey I thought was good. Yeah, well, Kevin Spacey was doing a great Gene Hackman impersonation. No, he wasn't. He made Come he did it. On. No, watch it again. Come they on. did something. He did something different with it. So I I don't care about the villain. I'm not like I feel that Jesse Eisenberg betrayed this property. No, no, I care no. about. I don't. I'm I just not thought that. he had no 
legitimate menace or threat to him. I just, I didn't, I felt irritated by him. Meanwhile, these two gods who are trying to be the same character are just punching themselves through cities. It, here's, I will, here's, I guess, what I'll say about it without being too spoilery is I'll definitely watch it again. I, I think I want to watch it again on the big screen because so much happened that I, I probably missed a lot of stuff the first time. I want to watch it again on a flight. That's how invested I am um, in that movie. I don't, it's it's got a lot of just dumb choices in it that bog it down. Yeah. And but I think what it does well will make me come back and watch it again. Um but I did so much exasperated size through it. There's there's so many elements that he pulled from Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns yeah. that I really enjoyed the way the Batman and Superman fight was orchestrated. Sure. Looked great and felt like a thing. There's just very little motivation given to these characters that makes sense yeah. to both do the things or undo the things. The, the yeah. villain's goals aren't clear. The villain's threat yeah. isn't palpable. And then all of a sudden there's a gigantic monster that... Um, and then and then Wonder Woman shows up for no reason. And then Wonder Woman shows up and she gets the biggest round of applause. The audience that we saw it with uh, yeah, broke into burst, applause. Burst into applause. When she... Well, her first appearance on the battle, when yeah. she like slowly lowered her defenses and you could see her face round of applause yeah three minutes later in that cgi apocalypse scene (laughs) the exact same thing yes yes. happens again yes and then you want to go oh you oh you poor simple child you yes you you're trying to make us happy again because you know the thing you just did make us happy after two hours of being miserable i i I have been waiting to see Batman and Superman on a big screen there is forever. No, there is no, there's nothing light. There are no comic. There are moments that are supposed to be there to inject comic oh, relief. Oh, no, no. They, yeah, this film is joyless. There is they no do not, joy. The moments of, of comic relief do not work. Yeah, there is, there there awkward. is zero joy, zero levity in this film. There is absolutely no respect given to the character of Lois Lane. No, she's a damsel in distress, basically. It's, she's She's a... She's a a <laughs> she's a plot point. She is not a character. She is not fully fleshed it's out. It's just a fucking mess. It is. You're, no, you're right. But but I got to see Batman in the mech suit. I got to see Batman kick bad guy ass. I I I, I you know Those I, I, I cool. got to see Wonder Woman for the first time on the big screen and they did her right. Like they nailed Wonder Woman. You listed every every highlight that I would cite too. Yeah. Wonder Woman's um appearance in the fight scene is excellent. Yeah. Batman doing Batman shit is excellent. Yes. Ben Affleck did a good job. Yeah. Um, I actually love Ben Affleck as Batman yeah. and as Bruce Wayne. I think he I think he really nails both the roles. I I am pleasantly, pleasantly surprised. But I'm also wondering how much I really enjoyed that or if it's like if his performance was just the best song on a Red Hot Chili Peppers record, <laughs> where you're like, every element of this is fucking shit, but one song, <laughs> by comparison, I can deal with. I think. Now, no, I don't think I that's think, fair. I think Ben Affleck I did think, a good job. I think that's not fair. I think Ben Affleck worked his ass off and did an amazing performance. And not for nothing, I mean, this might be a cop out, but, you know. You've you've got some really talented people working with a pretty shitty script, and there's only so much a talent person can do with, you know, the material they're given, and the material they were given is is hackneyed and feels forced and just I don't know. 
I, I, the moments I liked, I really liked, and the moments I didn't like, I really didn't like. Yeah. I just, I still, even making exceptions, still acknowledging that there were elements where I was actually entertained. Sure. I just feel like there was some Stockholm syndrome going. <laughs> that those elements isolated by themselves, I might not have liked enough. They were just good because the rest of it was so bad. Yeah. I, I was, I'm surprised yeah. how, how angry I was by how much I disliked it because it takes a lot for me to dislike a movie. Oh my God. It takes a lot for you to dislike anything involving Batman too. Independence Day is probably among my top 10 favorite movies of all time. I love it. Just so Day. you know how low my bar for taste I love, is set. I love Independence Day. Okay, I, that, not the best example then. I don't know. I just, I guess, I guess I had to unhinge my metaphorical jaw from what I know and love to be like my Batman and my Superman. And once I, once I disconnected from my nostalgia is when I decide when I started to enjoy the film. They could have deviated from source material in such a profound way. They could have made Batman a dinosaur yeah. in a Batman costume. Yeah. <laughs> and I still would have been like, that wasn't the shittiest decision that they made. <laughs> yes. They made I don't again oh I, I want to drop so many fucking spoilers, but I'm not. But like just some of the dumbest fucking choices it's i just, mean if you're listening to this podcast you saw the movie and you know exactly what yeah, we're talking about just, but there's so many of them so don't say it if you haven't seen batman versus superman dawn of justice don't just wait for the solo batman movie to come eventually um i i didn't hate it um there 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 were there was enough of it to like for me where i'm interested in seeing it again i will not see it in the theater with you again I know. I'll watch it when it comes out on you know digital or sure. Blu-ray or whatever. Yeah. I'll watch it with you again, where we can sit here and I can take breaks to scream. But I'm not. <laughs> you asked me recently if no, I would go I see it with you yeah. in the theater again. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. No, won't. no. I know. I know you won't. Yeah. I know you won't. But I know. But I know for a fact that there are things that I missed because I was sighing and rolling my eyes through most of it. So yeah, I'd like to go back and check it out. It might. It might be better on second viewing. Who knows? It might be. But right now, it would be hard for me to take that two hours. Yeah, commit two that, and a half hours. Two and a half hours to that when I could be at home watching the force awakens on blu-ray for like the fifth time right right it just gets better i know okay uh well all right i think i think we've exhausted i'm 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 sorry i'm superman so disappointed no i get it no i'm disappointed too i guess i'm just i'm not i'm not ready to write it off as much as you are all right uh and i guess uh i guess on that (laughs) on that downer i went through a whole roller coaster man i started on such a high note i know we circled back and now i'm just now i'm now i'm back to my regular state of being (laughs) mostly unpleasant which makes me feel comfortable in my skin again Uh, oh good yeah good welcome home well what do you say we take a break let's take a break folks we're gonna take a quick break and we will be back in just a moment Well, it's been ten years since I went in fear on a mission The captain of a solo expedition And it goes so slow, though I'm following thrills I'm going yo-ho-ho and a bottle of pills So I can cope with what I go through, so true All hands on deck are two, no crew And no white whale, no known safe route Taking on water, I don't bother to bail out 
I know how this ends, friend. I signal distress and then pirates are sent. I just remember what Jess said. When I see the hovering birds, all the fam, I never reworld. All we have is our word. If I strive, survival's assured, or so at least I've heard. Every course I've set has set me headed for icebergs. I stay afloat, forward, never rowing ashore. I sail alone, laying lower than the ocean floor. Second visit, see, but I never think escape, but it's just a thing. Once they got you one time, you're never really free. Bitter, I'm not bitter, mad as hell. First boarded the ship with a brick set sail. Slow ride to nowhere, strapped to the broken mast. They made me captain once I laughed out loud last. Where we gonna go? Straight to the bottom. Sought solace my whole life, but can't forget where you came from. Wanted to catch one, my lemon break max. Wrist bent, brittle when it collapsed. Saw in a circle with the lines of salt. Thought I'd have it all once I killed John Gaunt. But I guess he would bite when you sternly said We sailed his ship to the day we're dead. gentlemen, our guest on the program this month is a New York City-based author. Her debut novel, The Girl from Everywhere, is available from booksellers everywhere now. Please welcome to the program, Heidi Heilig. Hooray! Hello, Heidi. Hey, it's nice to be here. Thanks. Oh my goodness. Welcome to the beautiful and spacious Studio 6C. I love it here. Good <laughs> company, good wine. Oh. We're, we're, we're trying to make a good impression. Most of our guests uh, have historically been derelicts. Yeah. No offense to previous guests. <laughs> or all the offense to previous guests. Nah, that's a little harsh. Be that as it may. Uh, thank you, Heidi. Thank you so much. Um, I know you've had an incredibly busy schedule uh, promoting the book and doing readings and traveling. And so uh, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's really my pleasure. It's yeah. always a lot of fun to, uh, you know, chat about the book and hang out and have a good time. Great. My, my first question that I wanted to start with, uh, I realized I didn't know how to do it. We've, we've never interviewed an author before. And I wanted to give like an elevator pitch of what The Girl From Everywhere is about. <laughs> but I am now too invested in the story and because I read it cold. I, I, I knew nothing about the book when I read it. That to me, every element of the story is a reveal. Mm-hmm. So I would be a terrible publicist because I would <laughs> I would not know how to write an elevator pitch for the book because I wouldn't want to spoil anything. If When somebody asks you to, to briefly describe The Girl From Everywhere, how do you describe it? 
I've learned how to do it over lots of trial and error. Um, now what I say is, uh, oh, you know, The Girl from Everywhere is a book about time-traveling pirates, and it follows the story of Nyx, who lives on her father's ship. Her father's a time travel and can go from myth to legend in various map using various maps that are authentic and from the time period. Uh, and the one place he wants to visit is the time and place that her mother died. Unfortunately, this may unmake her entire existence, um, and it follows their adventures uh, aboard their ship. Um, but what I used to say is like, oh, you know, there's a, a pirate ship and uh, there's this really cute persian thief and like uh, <laughs> i don't know they go to hawaii and <laughs> I, I was really really always very bad at it um my agent used to say uh it's time travel but not what you think so um oh, okay. that's, yeah. that's that's pretty that's accurate really yeah. Good, yeah it's but a that, really that, good pitch but it opens so many more questions right yeah. it's, it's yeah. a little on the nose but it ain't wrong yeah no i know so there's a there it's hard to describe a book in a, in a short especially one that has so many weird disparate elements but um you know, cross genre time travel yeah. in uh, 19th century Hawaii. I, okay, so I guess then telling people ahead of time that there is a time travel element to it mm-hmm. is, is, is okay. Is okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I kind of knew in the back of my head that it was coming because Lugo had made a brief mention right. of, of time travel in the book. But then I just jumped into it. And then when it got when the story started shifting that way, I went, oh, oh, my goodness, they're going to travel through time now. And, <laughs> and I got excited. So I, I to me, that's still a big reveal. That's like it's just a thing that happens in the story. Not not like a see. It's, but it's here. Here's an interesting thing and, and probably something you don't know, Heidi. Um, but for longtime listeners of the show, you all know emphatically, precisely how much Schaefer hates time travel oh, as a storytelling device no. that is not profoundly true. hates no. like he, if, if he could set fire to it like a like a villager out of a frankenstein novel so if you could go back in time you would <laughs> stop time travel from if, being a literary device yes yes you, you he would kill hg wells basically yeah if actually i would do much smaller um, more innocuous things with it i would go back 30 seconds and stop lugo from the beginning of that question <laughs> Welcome to our show. We're going to talk about your book about time travel. For our longtime listeners, my co-host here emphatically hates time travel as a plot device. Uh, That is also, it is not accurate. Tell me Uh, what it really is. What it really is is that I don't like when time travel is used to get a writer out of a corner. Yeah. Um, which in the, the stuff that we consume, which is a lot right. of science fiction and fantasy, right. that, that, that Dr. happens a lot. All of a sudden it's like we don't, we aren't, we aren't bound by any limits. And so we've, we've, got, we've got ourselves in a pickle. And we can use the element of time travel. The other thing that I typically find that I don't like about time travel yeah. as a story element is that I get confused. It's really confused. <laughs> I did too. I and did too. And <laughs> that's that's actually an element of your book. I mean, there's there's some there's certain moments where I was not taking all the story, but I found myself being confused about how time is proceeding. But I but it's also from the point of view of Nix, because she's also a little confused about how it's proceeding and in the context of that it makes sense that both the reader and the and the protagonist are both trying to figure out how this is all going to lay out linearly mm-hmm. even though it's stuff is happening in the past and in the future and what have you um i loved this book or rather i i am loving the book i'm four chapters away from the end so hopefully this will be a spoiler free uh uh podcast but we'll probably touch on a couple of things that will end up bleeping out but I really, I really do love this book a lot, and I am, 
And I know that you're working on a sequel and I'm excited to talk about that in a bit. But what was the germ of this? What was the thing that inspired you to create these characters and create this world? I, the germ of the idea, it's sort of, um, it's going to sound kind of weird. It was a bunch of things. Like I I really, as a writer, I really enjoy procrastination and I really support (laughs) people who like to procrastinate because what it ends up being is a bunch of um, really rich uh, sort of, like a a rich bank in your brain to pull stuff from. Um, I was, uh, I was, I used to do musical theater. Right. So I, my collaborator was away and I was like, well, let me just write a book, I guess. So I was like, what am I going to write about? (laughs) And I was Googling. I was like, I like pirates. So I I mean, this is really, this is why it's like, this is not, it doesn't sound deep or anything, but like, I really enjoy pirates. I was born in Hawaii and I was Googling piracy in Hawaii for whatever reason. And I found this old newspaper article um, from 1884, Daily Alta, California. And it was a, a newspaper article that was about, out an act of piracy in Honolulu where apparently uh, a group of 50 determined men stormed the capital of Hawaii and stole three million dollars in plate and gold they called it and uh, without firing a single shot Whoa. and it was led by a mysterious red bearded man who seemed to know the city well uh, but no one recognized him he uh got off scot-free they never discovered who he was um and the article kind of um was very unflattering as many articles were at the time of the native people there of the king of hawaii they said oh you know he can't really protect his people he can't protect the the rich white sugar plantation owners who i know who are you know bringing money to the islands and so this was kind of right before hawaii was basically stolen by the rich white sugar owners sure. um, and they were looking for protection from America um, there is some uh, discussion as to whether or not that ever even happened um, oh, the wow. newspaper the, might have been lying what the heist the heist yeah the, there's no evidence anywhere else of it ever huh. actually occurring wow um, I know so it was really kind of inspiring like you're like well what what uh, what did this happen did it not happen was it uh, one timeline where it did happen and only one newspaper reported on ah. it. What kind of, like, how would this happen? The obvious answer is time-traveling pirates. Duh. But <laughs> I... So, so that's kind of where the idea began for me. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that it was a specific event that doesn't play out exactly like that in the book. But no. but the story does... Uh, it does build to to an event... Quite similar to yes. to this heist that may or may not have happened. I just find it fascinating that it was that that incident was the was the seed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's cool when you Google weird shit and read old newspapers. What you will find um, <laughs> <laughs> always something random and interesting. Good story prompts. So, so at the center of the story, there is a, a a ship called the Temptation with a crew of five, mm-hmm. and they can travel to any point in time to any place either historic Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Or mythological. Mm hmm. And yet, a large portion of the story takes place in 19th century Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess if, if you knew that this, that this heist that took place in Hawaii was, was going to be a big part of the story, was there a part of you that w- was already interested in writing a story about where you grew up? I, yeah, there was. I haven't seen a lot of fantasy books set in Hawaii or um, sort of discussing that time. It was yeah, such no, a Yeah, I, no, I can't think of one, yeah. I've, I had never heard the words Victorian era Hawaii. Yeah. Ever, in, before yeah, this book. In, in that order, yes. Yeah. And it's a weird, it's a really weird and interesting time. I mean, the princes and princesses of Hawaii were, uh, and the kings were just uh, decked out in these gorgeous, like, Victorian dresses. And you can find really cool pictures of, you know, the Hawaiian people of the time, especially the kings and, and queens and princesses uh, um, dressed up like that. And it's, it's kind of like very neat to look at. Um, but and it was also just during the, that sort of the close of the 19th century that the that the land was taken um, and the provisional government took over and the flag was lowered and there, the provisional government flag went up. And it, it was a it was such a fraught time. My mom actually was a um, she was in the State House of Representatives. And I remember this from oh, when wow. I was very young. Yeah, she, in the 70s. So some of her very oldest constituents remembered the lowering the flag. They were just like six or seven wow. at the time. I know, and so that story so it's, really... I mean, it's, it's literally that soon. It's a very recent mm-hmm. uh, uh, part of the history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hawaii only became a state like six, 70, 60 years ago. Wow. So, yeah. It's, I mean, it, it was the only... And it was the only kingdom that was ever a part... Like, the only place in America that was previously a kingdom. I mean, it's a fascinating sure. time and yeah. place. Um, and so I had really thought that it would be very rich for stories uh and, and it is the, so this this the, the fall of the kingdom which is an event that happens just a couple of years at the conclusion of the book mm-hmm. in in so the book is set in 18 majority set in 1884 um <laughs> although they travel to various other places even various other places like well they're Again, I don't want to spoil too much. Very t- various times and places that are recent and near and dear to our hearts. They're in 1884 Hawaii, but the captain really wants to be in 1868 Hawaii. Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and the, and the, the provisional government took over in 1893. So okay. that was just like 10 was, year, less yeah. than 10 years later. So. What, wow. about, what about certain events like... There's a there's a, a a fire that's referenced mm-hmm. a in, Chinatown, in yes. Chinatown, right? And the that, Great Chinatown that's, Fire. Mm-hmm. That's that's real. That yeah. happened that was, in 1886. Okay. There were that, two. Was that where was that? Was that San Francisco? Uh, no, in Hawaii. No. In, oh, in Hawaii. Hawaii. There were actually two of them. I think one was in 86, and I think one was in 95. But I could be wrong. It was just a few years later. Wow. But they were complete um, destruction. It was a complete destruction of Chinatown because it was built so. Um, it was built. It, it wasn't built to like a, a standard normal yeah, safe right. code yeah. of building um and i think that there was not uh the sort of rush to save it that maybe it would have uh, been if it had not been chinatown right so, right yeah one, wow. of, one of the elements that i that i love again speaking to the uh, the fact that it's set in victorian era Hawaii, <laughs> the, the things that i love is that these characters specifically the 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 lead character nick song 
when they travel to other times and other places real or or fantasy um that they have to maintain a wardrobe mm. of appropriate clothing right. <laughs> to help them fit it and there's this wonderful scene where where they i think it's the first time she goes ashore once they once they dock in Hawaii in, in 1884 mm-hmm. where she's just just doesn't even know what to do like she has all these she has all these clothes the, the thing that she has that's the most fitting from the era is this very heavy wool victorian dress that's not going to that's going to look out of place among also all. yeah it's also a tropical island so right. it would be uncomfortable at best there are moments like those that i that i appreciated because i felt that it was a detail i i've not seen given as much attention in um in time travel stories right that yeah that you know like the, she the... still references the fact that she has like a burner cell phone right? <laughs> <laughs> so she understands how technology in the 21st century works but then she still like has to have clothes right, the, the, the practicalness maintain. of it the, the the like the stuff you have to keep around that you're only going to use intermittently at best yeah yeah there's no question at the end of that. That's, that's just a monologue of me telling you parts that I like. I particularly love the very complicated relationship that Nix, the, the the main character protagonist, has with her father, mm-hmm. the captain of the ship, and you know, and it's it's a very it's a universal story of having a paternal figure whom you love unconditionally, but also don't like a lot of the time, mm-hmm. you know, and having to negotiate that because that's the only life she knows. Um, what was it like writing that? I mean, is that, is, are you pulling from just stories that you love to read? Is this, is this uh, something you have personal experience with? Like, you know, I'm, I'm always a sucker for, you know, child father stories anyway. So this certainly pulled on my own heartstrings, uh, particularly. <clears throat> um, what was that like for you as a, as a writer? Uh, you know, it was interesting. I was writing this book. One of the one of the other reasons I decided to write a book um, about a parent and child uh, relationship was that I was trying to get pregnant at the time, and I was failing. I was failing hard. I really was shitty at getting pregnant, and so <laughs> uh, like it's one of the things I really don't do very well. So uh, oddly, um, so um, with all the money I've invested in birth control over the years. Uh, so I was trying, I was going through, um, sort of a a lot of medical treatments and I sort of failed at those too. And eventually I was like, I guess I'm just never going to have a kid. So maybe I'll write a story about a parent and a child. And I, and then I kind of was thinking about it and I was like, I'd be kind of a shitty parent anyway. Um, and so, no, I know this sounds so, this sounds so sad, but it's, you know, when you write, like it's kind of, it can be cathartic and it can be helpful. Like I had, I had some up and down, uh, sort of relationships with my parents. Like my parents are great. I love them very much, but my mom and I both are bipolar. And so we both have like massive mood swings and like, you know, me sort of knowing her and like being her child. Like I was like, if I do this to my own kid, uh, it's maybe not going to be the greatest relationship. So I kind of wrote a story about the kid that I thought I would have if I had been able to have a kid and then the parent that I thought I would be. And so the captain is kind of my version of me. I just feel really? like... Really? Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of like... The, I would be that kind of parent. Luckily, now I have a baby and I'm I'm actually not so bad at it as I thought it would be. <laughs> Thankfully, like, please don't call CPS. Everything's fine. But, uh, but I didn't know that at the time. So that was kind of where it came from. It was like a very personal... Slate is like the character sure, that's yeah, the yeah, most yeah. like me in the book. 
Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I, would, I, would, I, would I did not that. see that coming. I know. It's it's weird. Everyone thinks I'm cashmere, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be cashmere. I, everyone, everyone, you know. No, but you are very. You are the charming trickster, and that is. Oh. That kind of works. Uh, <laughs> you sounded so excited. Author there. approved. <laughs> that kind of. Um, works. I totally want to. I totally want to cosplay cashmere. I would love that. Well, now, I, now I have I have follow up questions. Please, let's. Please. I would. I have just some questions about the character of Slate's drug dependency. Mm. Uh, this is a this is a, an important issue in the story. It's a it thing is, that like yeah. that he that he hangs on to. Uh, one of two things that he hangs on to. Well, desperately, just, yeah. possibly the one that is least self destructive, actually, yeah. in comparison. Yeah, um, it is, well, it's it's more it's more of the idea of addiction, really. You know, he's he's an addict. So, so why why is that why is why is that element included about his his history in the opium dens and his drug addiction? Is that too personal? <laughs> I see how you're looking at me. Um, so, so I have struggled with addiction in the past. I have like I've had blackouts. I've had things that where I don't remember. Like I've woken up at three, certain not woken up, but like come to my senses at like three a.m. walking through downtown Manhattan without my shoes. Um, and wondering how exactly I got there. There are things that I don't remember about my life, and like there, um, so it's kind of like an honest portrayal, but not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, not it's not my shining moment, but you can't really only write the good stuff. True, I think true. when you're writing, I I particularly loved it because he's oh, he's so complicated. Um, like I love him and I hate him, and and. And those two are not mutually exclusive. You know, I, I, I see how hard he's trying. And at the same time, I also see how hard he's failing. Mm-hmm. And it makes me both want to write him off and also, like, want him to succeed at something, you know. Um, even if, it, you know, and I don't, I don't know if this is spoilery, but, you know, a, a, lo- a large part of the book is that Nick's concerned that if Slate, his, her father, succeeds... It'll mean the end of, 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 I guess, of what she knows and holds on to be dear, right? Mm-hmm. And his dogged pursuit of that one thing is both her fear and his, what he feels is his salvation. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, I've, I've never read anything like that in a sci-fi uh, book before where two people who are, intimately linked with one another are at opposing um, goals. Mm. And um, and through it all, Nix is still helping him, knowing full well what it would mean for her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just I just thought that was pretty uh, profound. Well, thank you. Yeah. I think that when you have like a parent or someone you love, when you feel like you need to help them, even when their behavior is self-destructive or destructive in general, I don't know if you, I mean, anyone I think who's had a difficult parent or a, or a parent with addiction or anyone who's had an addiction and also loves someone, you sort of know that there's some stuff that you do that's kind of shitty, um, but you, like, or some stuff that your your parent or whatever is doing that's shitty, but there's also this sort of like forgiveness in there and, and enabling and um, sort of there, everything gets so enmeshed, um, especially when there are feelings of guilt or like maybe it's only nice when the person is um, using or, do, or doing whatever it is that they need to do to feel better. I think it's I think it's hard and I think it's not as cut and dried as as sort of 
generally people think it might be unless that's, they know. <clears throat> that's specifically why I asked you about that element because yeah. it was handled with such uh, care. There was a time when I thought that his heroin addiction was written into the story just to, to by contrast, to show you how much more self-destructive his other addiction is. That, like, it's even worse than heroin. Yeah. Because, because, because those parts aren't treated. Those, those, those moments aren't treated when he goes and he, to back to his cabin and he gets out his box. Those moments aren't treated as as something to be like pitied or disgusted. It's right. just it's just it's a, a part thing. of who he is yeah. and what he does. I have also in, in full disclosure, I have made a career out of basically writing about my own intense struggles with addiction. Oh. So so high five. <laughs> <laughs> so those to see those moments handled like that, like Nix has times where she she's just fed up and she gets disgusted and and it becomes a, it becomes like a, a, a an item that she can use to like resent him for. But the author's voice telling those moments, it's never written in this way that it's like, as soon as it gets entered in the story, I'm like, Oh, so the story is going to be about him, like recovering and, and championing this mm-hmm. demon. And, and I just thought it, I just to see it handled that way was, was, was very unlike anything I've read. Oh. Yeah. And it's, I, it's very, at least um, I, I get very specifically that the author, you isn't really judging those moments where he's using a substance you know it's it's a thing that's happening and all of the and the crew all five members of the crew have their opinions but it's never like i'm never left with oh i'm supposed to think this about it you know um it's just a thing that he does and people like it or don't like it based on who they are or they're indifferent about it and then it's moved on like it's never it's never a touchstone moment Mm -hmm. um which I thought was very refreshing. Uh, um, because again, I mean, and this is also a young adult novel. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just nice to be able to read uh, a young adult sci-fi story that is also very human. Um, you know, like maybe not so much the crew because the crew kind of like they, they're reacting to the world rather than being proactive about it. It's mostly Nick's and the Captain Slade and Cashmere. I... Beg to differ. Is that is that the last four? <laughs> outside of like, outside of Nix, I think B is my favorite crew member. Yeah, but she doesn't like. But she doesn't cause anything to happen. Like she's like she's like Yoda in the sense that she has something to say about it that's really wise and profound. But it's mostly Nix and Kashmir. Am I wrong to assume that mostly a lot of the action is propelled by Nix, Kashmir, and Slate? Right. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and those three characters. Uh, are I find infinitely human like they have moments where like yay I love these guys then they have moments like oh you shouldn't have said that or you know they're just they're both wonderful and horrible to each other in equal measure and I just I loved reading that I just you know uh, I just I just like those moments where because a a lot of sci-fi tends to be I'm the good guy and I'm always doing good things or I'm the bad guy and I'm always doing bad things and uh, the motivation seemed very a lot of motivations seem very two-dimensional, but um, not for not for these three, at the very least. And so, I'm glad to hear that. Um, so, good job. Thanks. <laughs> well, I actually, I mean, I feel like I've taken like from like some of my favorite time travel uh, ones are from the '80s, like the Terminator series. And I feel like we were just talking about that I before like, the show. Yeah. Know, so when you like look at Terminator One and Terminator Two, it's like you see this like these dual sides of people, or the one, yeah, the one person, so to speak. Sure. Um, the dual sides of the Terminator, and it's I think it's really interesting when you have characters like that, like 
going back, trying to, you know, trying to fix something, trying to, trying and failing, trying to become human, what makes someone human, all those interesting stories that I think are interesting sort of um, ideas brought up by, I don't know, by these stories. I don't know if time travel is about humanity or if it's just that I was, I had conflated those things from watching Terminator when <laughs> Actually, at a formative a, age, but. That's an interesting uh, question. Um, what was the, some of the, what was some of the, the stories you were, consuming and taking in as you were writing this for for I guess inspiration or research or you know I like when I was actually writing I could not look at other ones because I was like it's too oh, it's just, too much yeah, yeah. Out. um because I I didn't want to like steal sure, stuff but sure. but there are there have always been I've always loved time travel and so like terminator was a huge one for me formatively like a, a huge movie um braid the video game <gasps> I don't know if you've played yeah. it but it yeah 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 to me, that is like the height. I, if I had, if I could write anything ever, it would have been the video game Braid because it's like so beautiful and the reveal in the end is yeah. so perfect. Yeah. Um, uh, it's not time travel, but it's like dual um, times uh, Arcadia by Tom right. Stoppard. Right. It's a huge one for me too. Um, and any of these things that kind of like show you sort of two sides of something, I think, or like how viewing how if you look at something one way you know you can see that you're the protagonist but if you look at something the other way you can see a totally different side or you can see how someone's right. a monster or right 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 anything like that i love stories like that um so those are just a few interesting um i don't know if this is too spoilery but i do i do want to talk about maps uh-huh because maps. Well, wait. Before we talk about maps, okay, go ahead. The, like to tie into it, because you were saying that you you wanted to watch or, or like review a bunch of media that had covered time travel that had inspired you, but you didn't want to get too into it because you didn't want it to inform you, mm-hmm. inform your thing. You have such an incredible time travel mechanic in this story oh. that also isn't just it, it isn't even really explained for a while. It's just kind of understood. This is a thing that we do. And as the author, oh, I, th- I as, think I think you're about to ask my question. I'm not going to ask a question. Oh. I'm, I'm going to say, <laughs> if, my question is going to be, how much of this can I explain to our audience? The mechanic of navigating, uh, navigation. I feel like called. you can explain it. If you'd like to explain it, you can. I don't feel like the. Ultimately, I don't feel like the mechanics of it are the big reveal. No. Well, there is, like, but they're interesting. There's, I, a, in a way. I feel like there's a it's a very big, unique, a big reveal of how it works in the last couple of chapters. Yes. Okay. That's true. That also is similar to how <laughs> this must be great radio for being so fucking vague Sorry. about a mechanic. Um, I think. Look, I, I think I, I, it's a, it's, it's time travel, and this is the mechanic by which they time travel, or, or, or the the, the mechanic, the mechanic by which they t- they travel through space and time, right? It's time travel, but not what you think. Exactly. And so... <laughs> Which um, is why that is actually an excellent... It is a really good, excellent. Yeah. So I guess, uh, dear listener, this might be spoilery, so I guess... I'm going to bleep all of this. If you, no. if you explain in too much detail how navigation works, I'm taking well, it Well, I mean, I'm going to... It's gonna one do, of my favorite parts I'm going to do book. the very basic stuff. Basically, it's... The way you navigate through time and space is um, you, need, you need a couple of very specific things. You need a, a detailed map Mm-hmm. That is original. It's an originally created, and that can't be a copy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it needs to be uh, dated, mm-hmm. and it needs to be signed. Well, it needs to be drawn by hand, and so most maps were right. dated and signed when they were got it uh, drawn by hand. I see. So, and 
that allows them to travel to those specific places that are detailed on the map at the year it was created. Yes. The caveat is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that they can once they've once they've used a map to travel to a specific place in time, they can now no longer use that specific map to get there. Yes. Okay. I guess I, I have a follow-up question. Yes. Can they travel to a place they've already been, even if it's a brand new map? So you're saying, like, could they have a map that was, like, 1886 Hawaii, and then someone else draws a map on the same day of 1886 Hawaii? Could they appear at the same? Yes. This is never explored in the book. So I, but I will say that in my head canon that there are different... Everyone who draws a map creates a slightly different... I, I kind of, in my head, right. it's the many worlds theory sure. of travel. Sure. Um, everyone who draws a map or everyone who creates their space um, does it and they create their own Oh, they create version. a new reality. Yeah. It's, and so if you go to the same version, the same place drawn by a different person at the same time, you will go to a slightly different version of the map oh, and you will not meet yourself. I see. Um, so that's why, and you never have a person that can draw a map of the same place and the same Right, that's time. unlikely at best, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's ever, I have never found anything like that. And right. I, just through my Googling, not like I'm a big researcher. But. Because, I mean, I don't... I, it, Didn't Ace Sutphin make three versions? He did, but, the, but he did them by hand and so they took several weeks oh, right. apart. Um, and if you look at like if you really study like the, the you know the theories of time travel like uh, the billiard ball theory so you're never going to be allowed to do that sort of thing so perhaps those versions of the map were lost through time oh. like um, per, you know perhaps um, physics or fate takes a hand and will not allow um, you know if you were going to stay six months or three months on a map to get up to the next version it would not perhaps survive I don't know. I did all this like stupid research. For yeah, actually, that was that was piece, my but... that was my next question. Like, how much theoretical physics did you read or or consume while you were writing this? Okay, so like ten years ago, I did a sh- <laughs> I did a musical uh-huh. that was called the Time Travelers Convention. Oh, okay. And it's a to- it was completely down like the physics route, and because it was my like there was this thing at MIT where these a group of MIT students were like, we're going to hold a convention. We're going to put these flyers in books and we're going to Oh, wait, I've heard, I've heard about this. Yeah. yeah. So so I was like, this is a great show idea. So I was like, okay, well, they're going to host a convention of time for time travelers and someone's going to come and say that he's a time traveler. And so what do they do then? Um, so this was, that's when I researched all the physics and all the this and the that and read all the like articles and whatever, natural science, sure, popular science, sure. whatever. Um, and so that was super physics heavy and it was fun because, like, to write a, write a bunch of songs and lyrics with, like, all these, like, <laughs> physics terms, like, people arguing and getting really nerdy with each other is right. really fun. Um, but for me, writing, um, either it's because I already did it in that show or because, like, writing it in book form isn't as fun. I totally, like, avoided the physics discussions <laughs> in this book because I didn't feel, I felt like this was more fantasy than sci-fi. Yeah. So. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. What about... Uh... Did you have to do a lot of studying of the language of the seafaring life? Because there's a lot of there is. elaborate, detailed descriptions of how the of how sea travel works and and of the ships and the parts of the ships. Um, 
Did yeah. you, I mean, did you I already did have research. a background in that? Well, my dad was uh, um, in Hawaii. Like, my dad spent a lot of time on the water. He did a lot of fishing. Like, he um, and my uh, brother-in-law now, like, at the time, he was just my sister's boyfriend. But my brother-in-law was a captain of a yacht for, like, 10 years. And actually, one of the other reasons that I wanted to write a book about sea travel was that I was invited to do the Atlantic crossing by oh. him. He was like come we're short crew like come do the crossing and I was like well I'm in the middle of these hospital trips with the kids stuff and like I have a job so I can't really go and then I was like kicking myself because it's like fuck I could have done the Atlantic crossing yeah and but I didn't so so I asked him a lot of questions and like that was that was helpful and um, the last thing was I listened to really dirty sea shanties on like endless repeats. <laughs> really? While I was right. Yeah, there's like do not do Where do you not, find dirty sea shanties? Do not YouTube the good ship Venus. Do oh. not listen to that song. There'll be a link at least in the show notes fifty times <laughs> to the Venus shanty. It's really bad. I mean it's really dirty. But it was really cause and it's it's not even like I don't even think I used any of the terms, but right. it kind of puts you in the state of mind of like you know, and there's no dirty words in the book. It's like for 13 year olds. I, yeah. I hope no 13 year olds listen to this. So, but, or parents. I hope there are no 13 year olds that have listened to any episode of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. There should be an age restriction on on this show. Uh, in continuing me telling you things about the book that I really liked, I'm going to tell you one that I really liked that I feel don't stop that also that also said it in a in a to me made clear that it was written in present day and and was written with like like progressive values behind it is that there are moments in the book where two male characters subtly or not so sl- subtly slut shame the lead character and in both cases they are portrayed as buffoons for doing so mm. it's not like that there's a moment where one of them is somehow in the right and one of them is wrong there, there may be multiple love interests for one of the characters but but it's not the story where it's like she's got to make a choice and live happily ever after. These are just moments that happen in her life, which is how real life works. Yeah. And in both cases where she gets – where the other paramour might get jealous and say something kind of snide, it's always handled where they look like um, an asshole for saying that and not like – they're trying to protect their honor or, or that they're revealing themselves to be the bad one, the right, bad choice, right. because that choice is never a, an important part of the story. No, I agree with that. I mean, I wrote it with a specific, I had just, I had not, since I had spent so much time writing musical theater, when I was like, oh, I'll write a novel, I was like, okay, I'm going to pick a couple books, like YA books to read. And this was right at the time when Twilight was big. Sure, sure. And I found it abandoned on someone's shoop, the whole series. All the books? All the, the Twilight like books? Like the three, three of them? Or okay. four, however okay. many there were. Um, there are like, I think there were three of them. And I now no there idea. are four? I can't remember. But, oh. but this was like years ago. So I found like the, the, the first whatever ones, three I think, mm-hmm. abandoned on someone's stoop and I was like, okay, I'll read these. And I like sort of skimmed through them really fast uh, because they were really, <laughs> they were light reading. They yeah. weren't like, you know, treatise on whatever so and like and like props to her for tapping into something that was so valuable and for like creating you know something that so many people loved um but it definitely was this weird thing where there was kind of an inert female character and two guys fighting over her for like three books right um and so i was like i wrote i specifically did have that in mind of like not wanting to have like, I'm wanting to do something where, you know, you, you're you not really sure who 
you should be with maybe because that was the story of when I was a kid I was when I was 16 I had sort of love triangle goodness and drama in my life but uh you know you sort of end up with the right person for you or not or maybe go back and forth and you're not sure Uh, but I think it's okay to not be sure who you want to be with when you're 16 I don't think you have to fall in love permanently when you're particularly at that age where why would you need to choose you know and and you could and I have friends who are like well why not both and like I'm like that's a valid choice too like so I I just feel like maybe there it didn't need to be um something with such uh like um either one is a good and one is bad it could be more no I I find myself flip-flopping between the two love interests uh well and also I mean I yeah it wasn't that one was good and one was bad and it was I loved that it wasn't a matter of her making a choice was some important part of the story. Right. Yeah. Like she's an adolescent and she is, she's attracted to both of these characters and she has these touching romantic moments with both these characters. And that doesn't really matter. That's a, that's a thing that an adolescent person or a 20 year old or a middle-aged person does, yeah. but it doesn't have to be the, the focus of the story. And I was so relieved because when I started realizing that, oh, there might be a couple of people that are like gunning for this character's interest. I hope this doesn't, go down Turn that road that. it didn't yeah. at all and, and and those moments didn't become they didn't sully like the other characters relationship they were just moments that happened that happened naturally and felt and, and felt right for the character um i guess which leads me to ask i know i know that you are a very uh outspoken uh activist uh on feminist yeah. issues very on outspoken. on the internets and the twitters and the facebooks and things like that and uh, unapologetically so, and uh, of which I, I think we met very tangentially through a third party, and you were very lovely, and your husband's a very lovely man. And but I think what really made me a fan of you is really like your um, <laughs> your your my swearing and my well, screams, <laughs> my yelling well, about your your very um. Your, your strong stance on feminist issues and un, and your unwillingness to compromise or back down um, on things that you find both um, important and and uh, in the right, you know, because you know, because history is on your side, essentially. Um, how much of that is has influenced the book? I mean, obviously, Nix is a um, fully formed uh, protagonist and. Uh, you know, and capable of making all kinds of decisions for herself. But um, what, did, what did it mean for you as a feminist writer to create this? Well, there are things that I, I definitely, like, I don't want to say that I wrote this from the perspective of trying to teach a lesson or anything. Right. I feel like I, what I tried to do first and foremost was tell a story. Um, but I could not tell a story as anyone else but me. Yeah. And I am a huge asshole social justice warrior so so when I was when it came time to make choices about what was going to go on the page and and sort of the sort of every character makes their choices and um and and hopefully it seems natural and and sort of comes together in a way that that makes sense for the characters but you know for example you mentioned B before being one of your favorite characters and she is um she's from Sudan and she is married to a, a woman who was killed by a jealous man. Um, and this is something that, and, and B has a, a cut throat and her voice is soft because of the 
the healing of the scar. Um, so that is definitely a specific thing where I've seen, you know, people say like black women are silenced in our country. And so people attempt to silence them all the time. And this was a character that I chose to be able to speak despite someone attempting to silence her and end her relationship. We see a lot of um, sort of the tragic gay or queer couple trope where someone is killed. But um, so her wife is actually still with her. She's a ghost and she's, they're still together and they're still in love and they're still happy. Oh, um, she's, so, she's so cute with them. <laughs> they're adorable <laughs> they're together adorable and they love couple. each other. And they they really not, are. Uh, yeah, and they won't stop being together just because, you know, the dominant narrative sort of says that, well, we kill off that queer character. We don't let lesbians have a happy ending. Um, you know, I chose them to be diametrically opposite to Slate, who is white and yeah. he is the a white man and he is the addict who I also try not to judge because uh, me. Um, but, you know, I, I did choose to make the white most of the white characters villains and most of the heroes. Yeah. Yeah. people of color and i'm not trying to say that all white not all men not all white men <laughs> oh god are villains we don't need to do that my here. <laughs> husband is a very nice white man yes he is actually <laughs> I, could, I could vouch for that yeah so so i'm not trying to say that all white guys are villains but i mean historically when you look at colonialism i chose a, a colonialist story yeah. um yeah. and to tell and i think that all these different touchstones you can only really tell a story that's in you um or else it's just really a struggle so I think that all of those things sort of came together and on the page, um, sort of not by, not necessarily by 100% design, but because of the asshole loud yelling <laughs> woman that I am. So uh, It was, I, I, I mean, it wasn't lost on, on, on me during the read. And I, and I loved it that, that the, the, the white men in in the story were were they were monsters. There there a lot of them are either monsters or they're just they're just kind of helpless on their own, <laughs> and yeah. and it wasn't really their story. I mean, you could argue that Slate is a, a, a major character, but it is not Slate's story. No, no. But not. also, he's you know he's he's still not. I mean, the thing is also about villains is that they never really know that they're villains. Oh no, they're like, the they heroes. They think that they're doing yeah, they're the heroes of their own story. They think that they're doing right, like. These people who thought, like, they told themselves this story about, oh, well, we're rescuing this people or we're, you know, these these people, these poor Hawaiians who would throw down their weapons without a fight in oh, the sure, newspaper sure. article. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, they, they tell themselves that they're providing a strong guiding hand or whatever it is so that they can do what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so no one ever really thinks, oh, you know, I am a monster. But yeah, like there are a lot of monstrous people. And uh, unfortunately, in the colonial colonialist story, they do tend to be white. Yeah. yeah. And dudes. Yeah. Sorry. No, there's a, there's a, not at all. Sorry, don't, white dude listeners. You don't need to apologize. Oh, God, no. At all. Never. Never apologize <laughs> for that. Ever. Uh, uh, I, I I like how much that's driven home too by the at the the ball scene when uh, the um, uh, Mrs. Hart. Oh yeah, she is just. I mean, she might as well be the mom of the villain in like an eighties movie. Like she's so <laughs> she's so like oh, what are these rags that Molly, Molly Ringwald's wearing? Like she's she's excellent, and she gets in she gets in like a an, enough like there's a she has a good line of just this kind of like shameless racism mm. that really like paints the world for not only the reader but for the characters in that scene to be like mm -hmm. oh this is where we are now mm. we're at this at this party and this is 
this is how these people behave. And yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of shocking and grotesque, but without, it's not like a freight train. I hope, yeah, I hope not. It's, it's, it's no, no. I think, I think it's, it's very evocative because it's also very much the time, very much the place. Mm-hmm. These are people who are products of, of their environment, and you also don't pull any punches either. You know, which I think is kind of refreshing. No, I, I think that non-white people too can recognize like that, that sort of look or that statement that is made sometimes when you're like just like tootling along and then all of a sudden something kind of right. comes up and you're like, oh, oh, right. Yeah. No, you were looking at me in that way. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that that can become that just kind of can blindside you sometimes. But I hope that it's not too over the top. Oh. I don't know. We'll see. I, I once <laughs> I once dated a woman and I met her parents and I met her grandfather and he referred to me from that point forward as the conquistador. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah. So my my grandparents, who were lovely people, my white grandparents, they were they are wonderful, and I love them. Sure. God rest their souls. But they called my father the Chinaman for like long, like not till not all the way until my parents divorced, but like for some years that I remember, like he was the Chinaman. Oh, good which gravy. you know, fine, but yeah, <laughs> awkward, awkward. My goodness! I want to I want to fanboy on you a little bit more here. If I I've, I'm going to fanboy as long as oh. I can, like as yeah. much opportunity. So <laughs> there's a great story. There's great characters. There's a very rich world. You've I, you have so many elements of, of uh, just a wonderful story here. What I uh, one of the elements that that I really enjoyed going through it was I I feel like you don't spend a lot of time just going on and on and on about describing how beautiful the environments are. There's enough there. You do it so subtly and you there's enough there's there's always like these there's there's definitely passages where you go on you describe the flowers and the and the and the grass and the and the the structure the shapes of the buildings and things like that that's 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 beautiful world building stuff yeah but it's it's never it's never tedious and then there are these moments within those where there's like a sentence that just will take my breath away because it does so much with just so few words. My, my, my favorite kind of writing is, is when people say a lot with very little. I get very impatient with overly <laughs> verbose scripts. But, but that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate artful use of language. I would like to share a couple, if I may. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I'd known you would do this. Oh, my God. You, ever, you actually have pages marked. Well, yes. I work in an office for my day job, so I have flags. <laughs> This knocked the wind out of me. I yeah. loved this so much. Do it. Okay, so it's describing a, a, a waterfall. And in the, the line is, In the distance, rushing water whispered about where it had been. I loved that so much. Thank you. Because it also, it creates this like kind of parallel to time travel. And, um, yeah. But the idea of, of a, a waterfall not just being a static structure that you admire, but something that... that has traveled a distance to get to you is articulated so nicely in so few words with some good alliteration. Thank you. It, <laughs> I, I, he's got more flags here, but before he goes on his <laughs> gushing moment, I particularly enjoy the way you describe food. Oh, thanks. Um, I like, I get so hungry <laughs> reading about your descriptions of food. I'm like, Oh my God, that sounds so fucking delicious. Uh, did you have more to read? Oh, I liked this one too. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of a spoiler because is it is it past which chapter? Is it's it? because there's gunplay. If you read the next thing, which is past the point b- before, are I, you sh- 
Yes, I will knock this bottle over your head. Would, it, would you consider? And then a, I will stab you in the neck with the shards. Would you consider it a spoiler if I told you that somebody gets shot? I guess not. I mean, the heist is coming. You know I'll I mean? say John Doe instead of the character's name. Okay, good. All right, go ahead. So, Mister <laughs> Doe. God, it's killing me. Go. He's he's been shot in the shoulder, and the line is: Mister Doe glared at him while red blood bloomed like a boutonniere on the shoulder of his linen jacket. Oh my God, that's good. That's a that's an incredible image. Thank you. It just you can see it. You can see it forming. You can see a bloom opening up on on the shoulder, and also. That's really good alliteration. Thank you. I love alliteration, and it's terrible because it's like thought of as it's like out of style right now. I think. Really? I feel like it is. I feel like maybe it, maybe it's like maybe it's coming back into style. I don't know. Maybe I, I'm bringing it back. Well, maybe maybe <laughs> we're just weird, and we just we're the, we're the outliers who love alliteration. No, I love it though. No, yeah, yeah. me too. And it's just because it's so much fun to play with. It. I love playing with words that way. So. Like the other things that I was saying, it's it's done subtly, and it, it doesn't happen a lot. So when it does. You have very carefully selected when you want to use uh, that kind of poetic device. Thank and you. It's, it's a pass as a lyricist when you when you have to write lyrics and everything has to be super condensed. That was actually one of the things that was hard about writing a novel is that when you're used to writing in short forms and especially for like lyrics or music uh, or f- when you know that there will be music behind it, you like don't do a lot of the emotions because of the music you're like oh the music's going to take care of that. But right. that'll, right. Fill, that'll fill in those. Yeah, spot. yeah. No, I had to go back and fill it all in myself. It was annoying, <laughs> but it but it turned out okay. I think. Um, I think I think we're winding down here. Um, is there anything that you want to any 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 questions that you want to be asked that you haven't been asked? Like, what do you want your <laughs> like what do you, what do you want your reader to like? What was it like? <laughs> how can we do our job? Yes. <laughs> Uh, I guess I mean how, what do you what do you want people who are approaching this book and and discovering you for the first time? What do you want them to know? Oh gosh, I don't know. I I really do like the things that I like talking about most when I do talk about the book are things like um, you know the the sort of like the progressive angle or like the social justice angle. And I also really like telling people that like when I was writing this book, like I didn't think that it was going to get published. I didn't have any plans to publish it I was going to just slap it on like an online like Wattpad or something and just let people read it for free Uh, and like and my mom was like oh you should find an agent you should do this and so I was like okay I'll take six months to try to do that and and it worked out so I think that the reason I like telling that story is that it really goes to show that people who want to write novels or people who have a story to tell you can do it and you can totally get published and you don't have to be an industry insider you don't have to have like big dreams or know anyone in the publishing industry or do any of those things to get your book out there and get it published by you know a, a big five house um and I, if people are listening who want to write novels, like I would just say, look at Query Shark, um, that Google Query Shark, and they and read her archives, and she, that helps you write your query to get an agent. And it can also actually, for me, it helped me rewrite my book because I realized my protagonist didn't have a strong enough um, sort of push, like a strong enough want to start the book so I had to rewrite the whole thing once I wrote that good query um, so, so there, are, there are resources there are so many resources and I like to encourage people to just say like you know go go for it do it you don't have to know someone to get it done and I believe in you and you can totally write a book and get it get it out there so 
All right, one final thing. I know, I know you're working on the sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, will the, is this a trilogy or is it just a sequel? It's a duology. Okay, yeah. so, so it's, it's a two-book narrative arc. Mm-hmm. Um, any idea when we could expect the second book? So it's going to be like winter of 2017. Oh, okay. Which is like kind of terrible. I didn't, before I wrote this book, I didn't realize, before I got involved in like publishing, I did not know why it took like a year for or 10 years or whatever for George R. R. <laughs> Martin to finish that damn series, which I've been waiting for. Like, I started reading that series when I was 16, by the way, wow. in 96. So I've been waiting for the end to that book, that series for 20 years. Um, but anyway, I, I, you know, I didn't know why it took a year to come up with a sequel, but now I know because it really takes a long time to, like, hammer out all of the um, little problems that crop up when you're trying to write a sequel but yes it it should be out in about eight months (gasps) wow i'm excited um so i guess folks uh check your local book seller uh buy her book buy it multiple times uh buy christmas presents birthday presents hanukkah presents whatever just start buying her book across various formats yeah digital Digital, audio hardcover soft cover quality paperback library editions lugo is going to release an illustrated version on a cocktail napkin he is not an illust- he's not even an illustrator so it's going to be terrible but the source material will be wonderful yes yes all stick figures and thought balloons uh and again the book is called the girl from everywhere buy it soon and buy it often <laughs> thanks so much you guys. heidi heilig thank you so much for being our guest on the program this month thanks it's been my pleasure once again, we would like to thank Heidi Heilig for being our guest on the program this month. She's great. She's great, and her book is great. Uh, Again, that book is The Girl from Everywhere. Buy it in all of your favorite booksellers. Um, I'm really happy we did this. Yeah. I really, really am happy we did this. I am too, because it means I read The Girl from Everywhere. <laughs> And I would not have read it otherwise. <laughs> no, I just, I mean, I, I, I like, I like that we're kind of branching out and um, interviewing not just, you know, our friends. I mean, not, not, not to, not to sort of denigrate our friends. They're yeah, all very no, talented people. But no offense, Lucas Siegel. Yes, no offense, Lucas Siegel. Uh, but you know, I want to, I want to interview, you know, more, more people who, who have, you know doing kind of wonderful, wonderful things out in the world. That's all. Well, that's great. You have aspirations for that. I just only have aspirations for reading the sequel to The Girl From Everywhere. <laughs> Which is coming. It's coming soon. It's coming and soon. we'll get her back. Yes, absolutely. Hopefully. Hopefully, Hopefully. she'll come back. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, guess I should say we'll ask her back. Yes. And, well, then, I mean, and Heidi, then that decision is in her hands. Well, Heidi, if you're listening to this, and let's face it, you're listening to this. Uh, you have carte blanche. You can come back whenever you want. How's that? Just invite yourself over. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so I think I think that's done. Let's wrap this up. Do you have any uh, do you have any shows coming up that you want to tell the peeps about? I have a couple of things coming up you I would do? like to tell the peeps about. Okay. Well, two of them. Okay. <laughs> then tell us. Okay. With I, I wait with bated breath. Tomorrow. What? Friday, April 29th. I will be in Orlando, Florida, appearing at the Geek Easy. In the back of a comic shop. I love that place. I will be there performing a show uh, with Mark with a C. Okay. And it is a birthday party for a lovely young woman named Sierra. And you, the audience, are invited to attend. It's a free show. Who's Sierra? 
Sierra is she's the birthday girl. She is a woman celebrating her birthday, and she's a fan <laughs> of both Mark with a C and Mark with a K. Okay, <laughs> all right. Which is my new stage name. <laughs> good. So good, good, full good. sets from Shafe of the Dark Lord and Mark with a C at a comic shop, and come out and wish Sierra a happy birthday. Awesome. On Thursday, May 5th, uh, I will be at the Crane Theater in New York City. Oh, really? Participating in a very special burlesque show. Oh, what is it? Stockholm Philly and Veda James are co-producing a burlesque tribute with Shadowcast uh-huh. to Little Shop of Horrors. Aww. So... You will see numbers uh, based on characters from the movie. Right. Um, but then in between the numbers, you will actually, they will project the movie Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> and the people in the show who are playing Aww. those characters will act out the scenes in front of it like it's Rocky Horror and the okay. audience can sing yeah, along yeah. and whatnot. And yeah. I will be doing the dentist number that I put oh, together okay. the, with the rap verse yeah, that yeah, I wrote yeah. for Epic Wind Burlesque's musical show three years did, ago. Did they invite you or did you pitch it? They invited me. Oh, wonderful. Because uh, Veda James saw that show. Of course. Epic Win, the musical. Sure, sure. And um, so she booked me for this. And I'm excited about it because clearly I love Little Shop of Horrors so much. <laughs> you do. Little Shop of Horrors was the thing that really solidified that I was going to spend the rest of my life on stages looking for attention when I played the <laughs> dentist <laughs> in my high school production when I was 16 years old. Uh, yeah. And, you, and your version of... Uh, the dentist song can still be found on your um, band on camp. your bandcamp. Good, yes, absolutely, good. Excellent. And that's it. That's all I have before oh. the next episode comes right. out. I I have a lot of verses that I need to write and record, <laughs> and uh, only a couple of shows. Um, I don't really have a whole lot uh, today. As you listen to this podcast, I will be performing "Gathering the Magic" at the Horse Trade Theater in New York City for. The Downtown Magic Festival, uh, myself, along with, I believe, five or six other really wonderful, talented magicians are doing solo shows uh, between uh, April 28th and May 5th. And uh, so um, if you miss my show, then uh, go to horsetradetheater.com and uh, find out where the other shows are going because they're all pretty fucking fantastic. And that's pretty much all I got. Great. Yeah. I'm excited because I didn't want to listen to a whole bunch of plugs. <laughs> Good. Let's get the fuck out of here. Shout out to C. Muldrow. C. Muldrow. Hey, Shaver, I have a question for you. Okay. Do you bleed? Yes. You will. Uh... This has been the Epic Podcast, episode 42. I have been your host, Nelson Lugo. I have been your other host, for the Dark Lord. This podcast answers the questions to life, universe, and everything. Bye! Thank you for listening to the Epic Piecast. We'd love to listen to you, too. So send us your feedback, questions, love mail, hate mail, recipes, and fan fiction to epicpiecast at gmail.com. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive. 
by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network. And there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Like and follow us on SoundCloud and Audioboom, or subscribe and stream on Google Play. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and more, visit nerdyshow.com. And be sure to follow Nerdy Show and the Epic Piecast on all of your favorite social networks. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. All right. Here's my question. Now, obviously, um, it's it's set up in the book that they can travel to both places, real and imagined. Right. That's part of the fantasy. Right. Mm -hmm. And so because there's a lot of references to mythological items and creatures. Right. That they have found through their travels. So here's my question. If they had an accurately drawn map that was both dated and signed of of uh, Tolkien's Middle Earth, could they travel to Middle Earth and visit with the hobbits? So if Tolkien or whoever drew the map, Peter Jackson, I don't know, whoever really believed in that story. Right. If someone really believed in that story and believed that it was true. Yeah. And they had an accurate map drawn by that person who believed in it. Right. They could definitely go to Middle Earth. (gasps) (laughs) Mind blown. 